The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known and it won't be long your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God and every secret deed and thought every wrinkle every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter From the coming storm He's the only shelter From the coming storm
Jesus alone is the shelter from the coming storm. That storm is now breaking upon this nation. We are at the end. The end of peace, the end of a normal American life, the end of prosperity. We have entered into the apocalyptic time of the four horsemen. As I was praying about this broadcast and about what happened yesterday in the midterm elections for the United States Congress, I was overwhelmed to the point of tears. I was still holding on to the fantasy that something good could come out of this election. Nothing good came out of it, which is a reflection of the absolute evil, the vile, radical left that has swept over America. Today, we would rather put in jail a man who would abuse a dog, but we would allow an abortionist to tear apart a baby in the mother's womb, causing intense suffering. And America would laud that man. I'm very troubled by what I have seen. I have no hope in the political process of America. I have no hope in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the Independents. I know that politics will not solve the problems that run deep into the heart of America in unrighteousness and wickedness and a total casting off of everything about Jesus Christ. I put it this way, I'm finished with fantasy. Yesterday was very much a wake-up call for all of us to see how far America has turned from the God of heaven. And now I know great judgments will begin to fall very quickly upon the church and upon the American government and upon the American people. For we have sinned against a most holy God. Yesterday I spoke with you about the 15th chapter of the book of John. I want to read just a portion, and then we're going to go much deeper into this chapter. But let's pray as we begin. Lord, you've called us out of all fantasy. You've called us to be realistic in you, Jesus. Not placing our trust in some supposed prophet or some supposed political leader. Yes, even including Mr. Trump. You've called us to separate ourselves and to come out of the wickedness of this day, of this culture, of Babylon. And you've called us to serve you, Jesus, and to serve you alone. So I come now to speak your word with love, with kindness, with mercy, but also with very stern judgment and justice. Lord, come and open our hearts and our minds that we could see and understand what you want for us, what your plan is for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. John, the Gospel, chapter 15, verse 1. I am the vine, the true one, and my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me not bearing fruit, he cuts it off. And every branch bearing fruit, he always prunes. That it may bear more fruit. Jesus is saying very clearly that you're either in him and bearing fruit in him or you are cut off. Let that sink into your heart. There is a judgment and we face that judgment. It is coming like a, like a freight train at America. We have given money to nations to fight with one another, to kill and murder. Our money has supported them. We have murdered the babies. We have shed the blood in America with criminals. We have blocked access to justice. We are an incredibly wicked, wicked people. America has lost its saltiness in the world and in itself. And the church has lost its saltiness and is good for nothing but to be thrown out, to be trodden on. There must be something new that begins in this last day. A turning to Jesus, a turning to righteousness a turning and a crying out for mercy before God. There must be revival in America or we are going to all perish. Jesus says he's the vine. It's interesting. It does not say that the vine is intellectual understanding of the gospel. It does not say that the vine is the kingdom of God. Some people get very stirred up about everything about the kingdom of God. That's everything. It's even bigger than Jesus. No, it's not. Jesus is the king of kings. And his kingdom was torn away from him in the Garden of Eden. And he paid the price to defeat the devil and to win back his kingdom. And he is now coming to establish that kingdom. We are watching in the Republicans and in the Democrats. We are watching the establishment of the kingdom of the one world government. We are a nation controlled by the Federal Reserve and by the central banks. Our elected officers, they just go along. But we're at a day where we are facing destruction and we must get right with Jesus. We must be in him. He must be everything to us, not just sentimentally. Listen. This is verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one remaining in union with me and I with him, this one bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you are not able to do anything. Now he speaks about how do you remain in him? You keep his commands. You obey him. Now, one of the questions some of you may be wondering is found in chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. You must remain in my love. If you may keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the commandments of my Father and remain in his love. This is speaking of behavior. This is speaking of what we do with our time and our energy and our money. This is speaking about the reality, not fantasy. This is for real. But now the question comes, 
What is the fruit that we are to bear? Well, I believe the fruit is described in the book of Galatians. First, he describes in chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, he describes the fruit of the flesh, the manifestations of of the natural inclinations of every human heart. The manifestations are these. Adultery. Fornication. Uncleanness. Indecency. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Outbursts of wrath, strife, dissensions, false teachings, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and things similar to these, which things I told you before, even as I said before, that the ones practicing such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What I want you to see very plainly is that Jesus is not dealing in fantasy. He is talking about the actual behavior that we exhibit as we deal with one another and as we deal with him. And so, If you go off on that side track of idolatry and all you're about is making money and money consumes your thoughts and your work, everything is about money or witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. These are all behaviors. Now, he does include false teachings as a manifestation of darkness. But let's be plain. Your having all of the right information about the gospel will not cause a change in the way you treat people or the way you treat Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his wonderful volume, Life Together, says, look at how you are treating other people. And that's in truth how you are with Jesus Christ. So if you're angry and bitter with other people, you will be angry and bitter with Jesus. But then he goes on. The Apostle Paul does. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. In fact, the ones who who are of Christ, crucified the flesh with the passions and the lusts. If we live in the Spirit, we should also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, let's be plain. You don't work on having more patience. Okay, I've got to work on my patience. No. I know I need to be more kind and thoughtful. No. I need to gain control of myself. No. That's not what this fruit is about. These are not fruits. This is one fruit with sections of like the orange. It's one fruit. It's fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not plural. But the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Well, where do these things come from? They come from a man or woman's heart that has been transformed and crucified with Jesus Christ. Romans, the sixth chapter. It comes when the passions and lusts of the human heart have been put away. 
So this is a part of the fruit that is being spoken of by John in chapter 15. It's not the entirety of it, however. Let's begin reading in chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. You must remain in my love. If you may keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Well, the only way you can keep the commandments of Jesus Christ is to have been crucified with him. The old man of flesh has to go to the cross. You have to die out. Die out to all of those manifestations that I shared with you a moment ago in the book of Galatians. Just as I have kept the commandments of my Father and remain in his love, I've told you these things so that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be made full. My commandment is this, that you must love one another as I loved you. No one has greater love than this, that someone may lay down his life in behalf of his friends. You are my friends, if you may do what I have commanded you. I'm no longer calling you servants, because a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father I made known to you, You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you may go and may bear fruit and that your fruit may remain. That whatever you may ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. I command these things. I command these things to you that you may love one another. So we have fruit here, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness. We have the fruit of the Spirit that comes out of a life that is crucified with Christ. These things are not things that we work on. These are the result of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit as we are crucified with Christ. And we begin to walk in these new ways. So if you're impatient and you're always flying off the handle, if you're cursing, if you're condemning, if you're judging, if you're a troublemaker, then know that you have not yet been crucified with Christ, that you're still full of you, the natural you. And that must change. You must become like Christ, and you become like Christ by obeying his word and walking in his way as he has transformed you and made you into a new person. But there is also fruit here being spoken of that is beyond simply the personality changes necessary for the old man to be destroyed in you to be put away, to no longer walk in that idolatry or that fornication, to no longer walk in those manifestations. Again, those manifestations are spoken of in Galatians, the fifth chapter, adultery. It's a manifestation. What is it a manifestation of? of the human heart, of the of the flesh, of the desire to own what I want to own and to do what I want to do. I can commit adultery. I can fornicate. I can be unclean. I can do whatever I want to do. And then I face the judgment of God and I'm cast into hell. Strife, dissensions, false teachings, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, The ones practicing these things can't enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because they've never been crucified with Christ. We can't enter the kingdom of God without being transformed by the blood of Jesus 
and made to look like Jesus. For we're going to see him as he is. We will be like him when we see him. This is not a transformation that happens after you die. This is a transformation that happens while you're alive, or it doesn't happen at all. But now we're finding there is another there is another fruit that he wants us to bear. I want to look further with you at what this other fruit is. Let's begin in verse 18. This is the 15th chapter of John, beginning in verse 18. If the world hates you, now that word can also mean if the world is utterly indifferent to you, if they say you have no utility in the world, you're not worth anything. I've had people tell me, Pastor, you're so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly value. I say, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what I want. That's my hope. I don't want you to look at me and say, wow, I can use Pastor Ray to get what I want. No, thank you. I'm done with the fantasy world of this flesh and of this world and of the lust of the heart. I want Jesus. I love the church. But Jesus does not say remain in the church. He doesn't say remain in a certain theology. He doesn't say remain in a certain belief. He says remain in me. Remain in Jesus. So if you want to compliment me, the best way you can compliment me is to say, Pastor, you're of no earthly use. Thank you. I don't want to be of any earthly use. I'm for Jesus. If the world hates you, if the world is indifferent to you, if you don't measure up in the world, you know that it has hated me first. If you were from among the world, the world would love its own. And because you are not from among the world, but I chose you out from the world, the world hates you because of this, or the world is indifferent to you because of this. You must remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. (laughs) If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you because of my name, for they know not the one having sent me. Jesus is warning us, don't try to please the world. Don't try to please your worldly friends. Don't try to keep the peace among the people that would cause you to disown Jesus Christ. When you go to be with family and you know they're not followers of Jesus Christ, don't try to keep the peace by not speaking the name of Jesus. When you sit down at a table, offer to say the blessing if they don't believe in saying a blessing Lift up the name of Jesus. Don't cast him down to be accepted in your family. Verse 22, Unless I came and spoke to them, they would not have sinned. But now that they have no excuse concerning their sin, the one hating me also hates my father. So I did not the works among them Jesus didn't do his works among them. And then he says, If I did not the works among them that no other man has done, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my father. 
In other words, they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. It didn't matter to them. Now, could I digress just a moment? The left in America, and that includes both Democrats and Republicans, they see that President Biden is criminally negligent because he's closed down refineries and pipelines and drilling permits because he intends to bring America to its knees. Already, some states are reporting no diesel fuel. If diesel fuel runs out, grocery stores had about three days of food. Very quickly, people will begin to go hungry, and starvation will come to America. And they'll say, oh, there, there's, no, there's no diesel. Well, why is there no diesel? Because the government shut it all down. We're watching as there is a deliberate attempt by the one world government, by the beast power of revelation, to grab the control panel of every nation in this world and bring it into subjection. And the easiest way to do that is to starve the population or to spread disease among the population and have great die-offs. That's what I see happening in America. It is against Jesus Christ. It is for wickedness and the vileness that is going on right now in America with the rainbow flags and with every other indicator. We are watching as America is destroyed. America has seen the gospel albeit in recent years, a totally false gospel of the sinning Christian. Not a saving gospel. Not a gospel that transforms a man into a new person. But he still continues the manifestations of the flesh and says, oh, but I'm saved, I'm good to go. No, he's not. He's not going anywhere. So we see In this 15th chapter, verse 26. Now when the Helper may come, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who comes out from the Father, that one will testify concerning me, and you also testify because from a beginning you are with me. In other words, the 15th chapter is saying there are two kinds of fruit. There is the fruit that is born in the life, in a transformed life. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness. But there is also the fruit of testifying to what Jesus Christ did on the cross and doing it in such a way that men and women under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. I call that revival in America. Now, I know today some people refer to revival as the happy clap dance with the band. That's not revival. That's death. Revival is repentance. Revival is being transformed into the likeness of Jesus in a very short period of time because we don't have much time 
There is a great work of redemption that must be done in America. There must be a standard of righteousness lifted up over this nation. And it's that standard of righteousness by the blood of Jesus Christ that transforms men and women, breaks the addiction of drugs, breaks the sex addiction, breaks every wickedness of a human's heart and causes the fruit of the Spirit to suddenly be blossoming forth from their spirit as they are one with Jesus in the Holy Spirit. Now I can tell you what revival will look like because I've seen it in vision. I've seen it twice in vision. And then I also saw it in reality in a small revival that took place in a small boarding academy in Mount Vernon, Ohio. I also saw revival in the Jesus movement. In each case in the revival, it was not about shaking and trembling. Wesley says that that's a sign that you are resisting the confession of your sin. It's not a sign of the Holy Spirit in a good way. It's the sign of rejection of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be gold dust falling from the ceiling or suddenly finding your teeth changed and now you have gold fillings. All of that is fantasy land. It's, it's fakery. It's not revival. Revival comes when a man suddenly, forthrightly, in graphic detail, sees his standing before a holy God and trembles in the justice of Almighty God. He sees the wrath of God upon his life. And he recognizes that if he doesn't quickly repent for his sin, he will be cast into the fire of hell. This is Jonathan Edwards 101 as he preached his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The great awakening that prepared America to fight against the British, to establish America at the very beginning. This was the first great awakening, and it was an awakening of deep, heartbroken repentance and crying out to God, being filled with the Holy Spirit. People confessing their sins, being filled with the Spirit of God and laying perhaps even hours or several days before the Lord, being transformed by his indwelling powerful spirit. Revival is not fantasy. Revival is not just some nice feeling. Revival is the actual transformation of a man or a woman into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And this takes place, according to the 15th chapter of John, when we abide in Christ, when we remain in him. We don't go into Jesus Christ and then run off to the movies. We don't go into Jesus Christ and then later that day run off and commit fornication or run off and curse and swear at somebody or be bitter and angry with them. No, we remain in Jesus and he remains in us. And it's called love and joy and and peace. And as we walk in that revival power, men and women's lives are transformed and changed into the likeness of Jesus. This is the revival I'm looking for. This is the revival I, I am crying out to God to have happen in Washington, D.C., I've heard the cries of sinners as they are confronted with the true reality of their wicked heart. As all of the fantasy is blown away, as as the myths are destroyed, and a person sees the wrath of God, 
and they see the avenue of escape by the cross of Jesus Christ, and they are transformed and changed because they choose Jesus. And they turn their back on the devil, on the flesh, on the world. And they say, no, I don't want that. I want Jesus. I want Almighty God. That's what I want for you. I want you to see the reality of your position before Jesus. Where all the make-believe is gone. where you finally feast on the word of God, where you read the scriptures and you cry out in prayer, you fast, you seek his face. Now, if we continue, I want to go back to John 15. He said, I commend these things to you that you may love one another. Revival is about loving one another. It's about going and getting each other and saying, come to the house of the Lord and get right with Jesus wherever that house of the Lord is, whether it's under a tree or in a tent or in a church building or in a commercial garage, wherever it is, wherever the house of God is, it's where the people of God gather. It's where the word of God is spoken with integrity and power. And you love one another. You look with compassion and mercy on one another. No judgment, no bitterness, no anger. You cry out for one another. You proclaim the name of Jesus over one another. Chapter 16. Verse 1, I've I've said these things to you, that you may not be caused to sin. In other words, what I've described in chapter 15, if you will walk in that, everything will be exposed. Your motives will be exposed. Your heart will be searched by the Holy Spirit. And you will not be caused to sin through deceit, through a lying preacher. You will know Jesus. They will put you out of the synagogues. But an hour is coming that everyone having killed you may, may thank to offer service to God. I was thrown out of an Anglican church by the bishop. He thought he was doing the work of God. He wasn't. He was doing the work of his father. He's a religionist, not a man of God. Even though he wears the cloth, he's not a man of God. Jesus says that they will do these things thinking they are doing the work of God. But now I'm going away, he said, to the one having sent me. And no one from among you is asking me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Remember, he said, do not let your heart be troubled. But their heart is very troubled. Did I tell you the truth? Reality, not fantasy. It's better for you that I may go away. 
For if I may not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I may go, I will send him to you. In other words, he's saying, look, I can only be here in flesh with one of you. It's better that I go and I will send this comforter, this this Holy Spirit. I will send him and he will be everywhere. He will be in you. What is he doing? He's preparing the disciples to bear not just the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, that. But also to bear witness and testimony in such a way that men and women will be released from their sin. And by the love of Jesus Christ and the love he has put in your heart, they will be drawn into revival into repentance, into a total transformation of their heart and their life. He says, If I go away, I will send the helper. I will send him to you. And that one, after having come, will convict the world concerning sin. So the first work of the Holy Spirit as he comes among us is to convict of sin. That's what brings about revival as I've spoken about it today. That's why I preach the way I do on this radio broadcast. I know it's not pleasant and many don't want to hear it and we don't have a great following. I know why. People don't want to hear about their sin They love their sin. They love their culture. They love their comfortable life. I can't preach that comfortable life. I want you to enter into salvation. I'm on this broadcast daily only for one purpose, and that is to secure the salvation of your soul, to bring you to Jesus. Not to bring you to a church, not even to bring you to the National Prayer Chapel, even though you can come there if you're serious and you need help and you need prayer. But it's to Jesus I bring you. He said, that one after having come will convict the world concerning sin and concerning righteousness. And concerning judgment, concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. What's he saying? He's saying, people don't believe in me, and so they walk in sin. They walk in the manifestations described in the book of Galatians. They walk in manifestations of sexual immorality, of fornication, of Bitterness of heart, of dissension, of hatred, of bitterness. He said the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he's going to convict of sin. And with that conviction of sin, people are going to begin to be revived. Concerning righteousness, because I go away to my Father. In other words, people were convicted of wrongdoing by simply being in the presence of Jesus. He was totally righteous. And if you didn't want to be righteous, you didn't want to be around Jesus. Because he is righteous. Righteous meaning totally innocent. So the Holy Spirit's going to convict of sin because they don't believe in Jesus. He's going to convict of unrighteousness. And he's going to convict of judgment. That's revival. That's true revival. That's what I'm talking about today. Jesus wants revival in the church. The church is right now no longer salty. 
it's lost its bite. The culture scorns it, considers it to be non-essential. And the church says, oh, yes, you're right. We're non-essential. Close us down. Are you kidding me? The church is to be a healing center, not an entertainment center, not a place where the demons come to play. So when revival comes, people are convicted of their sin. When the gospel is proclaimed in an honest, straightforward manner, people are convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit. They're convicted of unrighteousness, and they're convicted of the judgment they face if they don't make a dramatic shift and turn in their behavior. My brother and sister, we're out of time for today. I'd like to pray for you, though. Lord Jesus, I've spoken the straight word that you've given me to speak, and I now come and ask, O Holy Spirit, would you convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment? I know there are people listening today to this broadcast who are making a decision about whether they will surrender to you, Jesus, or if they will continue in the wickedness of America's way. I know yesterday for the election of our Congress, it was a wake-up call for anyone who hates evil and is deeply troubled by what they see the destruction of America and the finances. And Lord, I know that as this debt market implodes and melts down, America will never be the same again. The stock market will be gone. Lord, I pray you will come in power and bring revival now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That again is National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. You can also share these videos. And please subscribe if you haven't. The more subscriptions we have, the wider it's spread. God bless you, my brother and my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. To keep you from falling and to present you blameless. Before the presence of His glory With great joy With great joy Now unto Him who is able To keep you from falling And to present you blameless Before the presence of